From 8th Street to 8 Mile Road, from I-5 to Highway 99, Podcast Stockton. The show all about the great life in Stockton, California. This is Podcast Stockton. Welcome to Podcast Stockton, episode 86, for April 7th, 2014. I'm Susan Spraker. And I'm Matt Beckwith. Welcome back to all of our returning listeners. If this is your first time listening to Podcast Stockton, thanks for checking out the show. In this episode, Matt and I sit down with Bill and Wendy Maxwell. Yeah, today we bring you the first part of our interview with Bill and Wendy Maxwell. Uh, Wendy, known for her work with New School Aikido, as well as her, her band, Wendy Maxwell, Trey Hot Jazz just released some great new music. Bill talks with us about being a fourth generation Stocktonian and his start and long career in the book business. Better than cream cheese on bagels, better than honey on bread, better than champagne and pretzels, better than breakfast in bed, better than chili rellenos, better than chocolate eclairs, better than hothouse tomatoes, better than fresh bottled pears, better than dining a la carte, or simply gastronomic art, better than anything except being in love. We are joined live in the outback today by, I, I would almost call them a power couple in Stockton. <laughs> I, I, would, I would go with that. I we would go joined, with that reference. Yeah, we are joined is like by... Power, is that like Power Rangers? <laughs> <laughs> I like that reference. Only if that's how you, you see it. Yes. I, have a new, uh, I have a new vision of Mr. and Mrs. Maxwell now with Power Rangers. We are joined by Wendy and Bill Maxwell and... As many people know them, if you don't know them, we're hoping that uh, you'll, you'll learn a thing or two uh, about them today. So, uh, Wendy and Bill, thanks so much for, for coming into the studio. Delighted to be here. Yep, thanks for having us. Wendy, your list of things that you've done in this community and, and in, your, uh, in your career um, is, is, is pretty lengthy, but I want to start with the musical one. Tell us about your musical background. Wow. <laughs> When I was a little girl, when I was five, I wanted to be a famous ballerina. <laughs> and actually, I wanted to be a famous all kinds of performers, but I wanted to be a famous ballerina. And my mom told me that little girls um, didn't usually become famous ballerinas, that I needed to learn to play the piano because that's what little girls did. And I told her that I wanted to be the dancer, and she tried to convince me to be the pianist who played for the dancers, and it didn't work. Uh, she finally... <laughs> told me that if she got me dance lessons, she would get me dance lessons if I would learn to play the piano. So I learned to play the piano. I learned to dance. Uh, I was very proficient at both. I got a scholarship to a music conservatory in Chicago during my uh, junior year in high school. Mm -hmm. So I was a pretty competent classical pianist when I was a kid. And then if you fast forward a bunch of years, I wanted to learn to sing jazz sometime in my 30s, but I didn't quite know how to do it because all I knew how to do was read music. I didn't know how to improvise or how to mm. think on my feet. Uh, so I looked for a music teacher, but the only music teacher I could find was a classical voice teacher. <laughs> so I sang bad German opera for several years. <laughs> 
my husband put up with that. <laughs> how, how, how were those years, Bill? <laughs> Do you remember those bills? Oh, yes. Those years, Bill? Oh, yes. Concerts <laughs> in the, in the uh, Philomathian Club. Yeah, it oh, was, it the... was uh, fingernails on chalkboard. Oh, wow. Okay. Uh, so then I dropped that for a while. Fast forward another several years, I was commuting to Sacramento. I did that for, shoot, almost 15 years. And I'd gotten kicked out of my carpool. Uh, so I was driving back and forth to Sacramento by myself, listening to jazz CDs in the car, and I'd been singing along with the CDs. And I ran into a friend that I knew from work whose wife was an actual verified real jazz singer. And I said, oh, Bill, you'd be so proud of me. I'm singing jazz in my car. And Bill said, well, you must come to jazz camp. So I said, oh, I must, I must. And I signed up and went to the traditional jazz society's jazz camp up in Pollock Pines, and they taught me how you sing with a band. They taught me how you figure um, what key you sing in and how you count the band in and how you talk to the musicians and kind of the rudiments of writing intros and exits to songs. And then I came home thinking, okay, I'll find a band and they'll let me sing with them. <laughs> and that, that, that can't be too tough, right? And, and that didn't work. <laughs> you know, they either had a singer or they didn't want a singer, thank you very much. So I thought, well, I'll find a pianist and I'll just hire him to play just like I'd hire a voice teacher. And I can just hang out and I can play with some, I can jam with somebody playing the piano. So I found a wonderful musician, Stephen Koss, who was studying at UOP at the time. And uh, Stephen and I got together and went over some songs. And I thought, wow, this is, this is going to be really fun. I'm going to get together with Stephen and play. Uh, and then it dawned on me that if I got somebody to hire me for a gig, that somebody else would pay him and I wouldn't have to pay him. <laughs> so I talked to Larry Roostaller down at uh, Alder Market, because Larry had been saying he was interested in having music. And so I went from basically kind of not knowing what I was doing to playing at Alder Market and having Larry pay me and paying my musicians so I didn't have to pay them myself. And that was in, I think, 2007. Wow. That's a great story. I like how you just knew you wanted to do something and, and found a way to, to make that happen. So what happened from there? You started at Alder Market, and then where did it take you? Well, it started at Alder Market. I was, I was reminiscing with myself the other day because nobody else cares for <laughs> to hear me reminisce. My husband has lived through this firsthand, so he really doesn't need to hear the reminiscences. But I realized that I've had four distinct bands over the last few years, starting out with Stephen and his dad and his cousin on drums. And I was really lucky that their family didn't have a vocalist or I would have been completely out of luck. Mm -hmm. um, and then I had a band that was comprised largely of um, UOP student musicians uh, and, and that was kind of fun, but you know, they, they tend to grow up and need to do other things and they're not always on top of their schedules and there's frustrations as well as excitement when you're playing with young musicians. Mm -hmm. So after that, I started accumulating older musicians. Oh, <laughs> accumulated them. I think. <laughs> yeah. Like, like, like they're a thing. <laughs> yeah. You know, you just kind of start a, gathering. Them on the process, you know. uh, yeah. Yeah, you gather them in, you have to keep them herded, you know, in one spot. 
You have to get them to places at the right time. And <laughs> more, more importantly, they have to show up when they're hired to show up. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, they have to show up when they're hired Important. to show up. They have to wear a shirt with a collar on it that actually has seen an iron somewhere in its life. Mm -hmm. um, the current bunch I've got of musicians that are working with me are just spectacular. And I'm tremendously uh, lucky to be able to work with these guys. And they came along. Uh, Brian Clark was who I had originally wanted to have play bass for me. And he has this huge muscular bass sound. He's a really exciting bass player. And when I started, Brian was not enthusiastic about playing with me because I wasn't good enough and I couldn't pay him very much. So fast forward a few years, he filled in for me a couple of times. And last Christmas, he filled in for me at at, uh, at the last minute for a Christmas gig. And at the end of the show, he said, uh, you want me to play for you all the time? You want me to play all your gigs? And I was pretty taken aback. But I said, really? You want to <laughs> play all my gigs for what I pay? <laughs> and he said, yeah, let's let's do it. So So I said, sure, of course. And then after Brian started playing... Uh, as kind of the backbone, literally the backbone for my band, uh, a lot of other really top-notch musicians signed on, I think in large part uh, because Brian gave me a gravitas that I might not have had on my own or that I might have not have had up until then. And uh, this is the same Brian that plays in... Snap Jackson. Snap Jackson. Yeah, yeah, that that Brian. Yeah, for for Snap Jackson, he plays thump 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 thump. Right, mm. and for me, he goes. That's a real different style. That's pretty awesome. So, so tell me, who who else is in the band? Oh, in the current in the current form. Okay, Rick Russell plays saxophone for me, and Rick's actually played for me for the last several years. He's been with me through all four bands. Uh, so Rick and I are very tight. We share a music stand when we perform. There's nothing in that other than what it is. We share a music stand. <laughs> um, Ken Cephalo down in Tracy plays uh, guitar for me. Ken is the owner of Main Street Music down in Tracy. Plays a lot uh, in the Tracy and Stockton area, but also a lot in the East Bay. Does a lot of big band work, that kind of thing. Um, Plays with Bump City. Yeah, he does. He plays with Bump City. Dax plays drums for me. Dax Compies. Easily one of the most interesting and versatile drummers in the area. He plays jazz for me. He plays experimental jazz with some friends up in uh, Sacramento. He plays loud rock and roll with Jay Burbank and the Distractions, and he's equally good at all of it. Mm. Um, and then when we're in a venue that has enough space, Randy McMillan plays vibraphone for me. Randy is uh, currently studying with Stefan Harris, so he's one of Stefan Harris's protégés, which is a very, very big deal. Yeah. Uh, Randy's out of Modesto. He does a lot of compositions, plays probably his own compositions a lot more than he does uh, comping with my band, yeah. but I'm delighted to have him whenever we have room. So this this new band, uh, you guys have been working hard on your new CD, which by the time the show comes out will be out there for everybody to purchase. Um, Help a Good Girl Go Bad by Wendy Maxwell and the Trey Hot Jazz Band. So tell me about what that recording was like. 
Oh, it was so fun. I had been wanting to do a new CD, and I came up with a couple of themes, and neither of them really stuck. And I was poking around listening to uh, a bunch of CDs that my husband had picked up at miscellaneous garage sales, and one of them was by a woman named Ruth Brown, who's now known primarily as uh, a big blues singer like Etta James. Mm. Uh, But back in the 60s, uh, singers really weren't put in boxes as much. So you could sing blues and jazz and pop all on the same album. And this album of hers had this song called Help a Good Girl Go Bad. And I just fell in love with that song. And I thought, okay, there's the theme for my CD. And then I went through all of the rest of my playlist uh, looking for what songs that girl would sing. Mm-hmm. So if it's the good girl or the bad girl, what songs out of my repertoire would she sing? So I pulled all of those songs together. And then I decided, well, instead of just going through and sequencing them based on, okay, here's a slow one, here's a mid-tempo, here's a samba, here's something in a different key like you normally would, I decided that I would sequence the songs so that they would tell her story. And then I had the brainstorm that if I was going to do all that much work, I really needed to find a way to let the listener know that that's what they were hearing. So I subtitled the CD, An Imaginary Jazz Musical in Three Acts. Wow. So it has an actual prologue. It has three acts. Uh, One is love, one is ambition, one is discontent. Uh, And it has a prologue, or not a prologue, it has an epilogue Epilogue. at the end that tells you what happens to her several years later. Wow. Wow. So again, the CD will be out by the time people hear this, but where where will people be able to buy this? The easy way to buy it is to go to CD Baby or to iTunes if you want to download it. Uh, If you're in the Stockton area, you'll be able to buy it at the Hagen Museum store. You can buy it at all of my gigs. You'll be able to buy it at Red's Coffee downtown. And um, I haven't figured out from there. The easiest way to get it is to give me a buzz or go to my website and I'll <laughs> give you one or, or sell you one. I won't give it to you. But I'll <laughs> get one to, to you. Yeah. I'll get one to you. Girl or you can, always, you can always pick them up at my gigs. Uh, we're going to be where we play every month at Mile Wine, and beginning this summer, we'll be there twice a month. So I'm pretty easy to find. Wow, great! Yep. So this is your—is this your second CD? Correct. CD? You so have no idea how fun it is to say, "Oh, on my first CD," right? Or <laughs> on my latest CD. Yes. <laughs> So can people also, you still have access to uh, getting that CD as well? I only have a few copies of that one left. Sold out I've, got about, I've got about a dozen left, not very many. Better than making a million, better than being a queen. Better than oil wells and gold mines, better than pastures of green. Better than finding a horseshoe, better than losing your head. Better than anything thought of, better than anything said. Better than singing right out loud or being spotted in a crowd. Better than anything except being in love. So in addition to music, uh, you also are a fourth degree black belt, is that correct? Indeed. 
and you were the director at the new school Aikido. Can you tell us a little bit about that experience? I started training in Aikido in 1988. Our son was four. I, I was going to actually ask, how did that how did that come? How did, how did that time happen in comparison to Bill? But let's say so you'd already oh, met Bill. No, we'd been married for we'd been married for a while by then. Okay, eighty and eighty-eight. Do the math. <laughs> eight years. Oh yeah, we'd been married eight years by there then. <laughs> so in eighty-eight, you started training in Aikido. Well, well, first of all. I had a son who was who was big for his age, who had a really deep voice, and whether he did anything wrong, he was always in trouble just because he was the one who was noticeable. Oh, man. <laughs> and he wanted to take karate, and I could just see that was a recipe for disaster. I was not going to take him somewhere that taught him how to hit and kick and punch <laughs> and then told him not to do it. Right. Yeah, just... It was completely counterintuitive to me. So I found something that happened on a mat, had white uniforms, and had a moral philosophy that I agreed with, which is about um, assertiveness rather than aggression. Hmm. So Sam started taking Aikido. I started going on the map to play frog and alligator tag with the little kids, and I liked it so much that I signed up, and I've been training in Aikido um, initially for about 12 years very, very intensively. And then I took some time off during that long, long commute to Sacramento. And I'm recently back, kind of full tilt. So nobody messes around with you. You know, nobody has ever messed around with me. <laughs> and not because of the Aikido. They no. Just, it's just this aura. <laughs> I, uh, I, I, don't, I must admit, I don't know the difference between any of the martial arts. Um, so in a sentence, can you explain it to the layperson? Yeah, I don't There's either. karate... In my mind, there's karate and then there's Aikido. Most martial arts are based on the idea that you can train yourself to be stronger, tougher, faster, and more skillful than your opponent. Um, so there's a fallacy there because for most of us, those things simply aren't true. A lot of people take martial arts uh, because they want to defend themselves if something goes wrong. And what usually happens is they get jumped, they get mugged, they can't bring themselves to gouge somebody's eyes out with their car keys because they're not at heart bad people. Mm -hmm. uh, and then they're feeling victimized not only by the mugger, but by the fact that they fail to take care of themselves. So Aikido works on your instinctual ability to defend yourself to get out of to get out of a problem. It helps um, helps teach you how to get out of the way, how to move, how to uh, disarm an attacker, how to plop them on their butt on the ground if you need to, uh, but essentially how to stop aggression without turning into a bad guy yourself. Mm -hmm. Okay, that makes sense. So the students, um, what kinds of students do you have at the school? I mean, is, the, is it all age ranges or tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, we have everybody from four-year-olds up to... I think the oldest of us are probably in our 70s. I think the oldest of our students are probably wow. in their early 70s. We have a um, Kizan Co. program that's for our littlest kids, for our four to seven-year-olds. Then we have Matt Rats, who are up to 13, 14, 15. Um, 
And at that age, they can learn actual Aikido. With the little kids, a lot of what we're doing is simply teaching them how to sit quietly, how to follow instructions, uh, how to roll, how to fall on the mat, how to do rudimentary self-defense. We teach them how to yell stop, for instance. That's probably fun for them. Yeah. And then with the older kids, they learn full-on Aikido, and they're amazingly agile. So they can go fly through the air. They've got a low center of gravity, so they can throw adults really easily. Uh, Then our adult programs, we have uh, both genders. We have men and women. Uh, We're currently working with, um, we have a a one-day-a-week program with um, uh, developmentally disabled adults. We have a program with... uh, women who are in supportive uh, situations with county mental health. Uh, We have an after-school program at McNair High School that's self-defense for high school kids, as well as just the, you know, have a good time and do Aikido classes for all of our adults. So we have classes at lunchtime, so we have classes at night. Wow, that's, I had no idea that all that was going on. That's, that's great. You've mentioned a couple times, Wendy, that you commuted to Sacramento for a number of years. That's not, I, uh, it doesn't sound like it was related to Aikido or music. So um, you had a career outside of those things. Um, yeah, I had what we call a real job. You had a real job. <laughs> hmm. Yeah, I worked, uh, first of all, I worked at the state hospital for 25 years until they, they closed the place out from under us. I was literally one of the people turning the, the lights off at the, at the end. Yeah, oh. yeah. Uh, so I was an administrator there of all kinds of various programs. Uh, I transferred to California to, or to Sacramento to the California Department of Education, and I was a consultant in adult ed, working with uh, adult literacy programs. Uh, we worked with schools, community colleges, library literacy programs, prisons, mental health, um, community-based organizations, and faith-based organizations uh, with their... Um, English as a second language programs, their high school diploma programs, GED programs, parent education programs. Um, Mostly what I did was a lot of policy work, a lot of program development. I did all of the new projects. I worked for four years with Governor Schwarzenegger's uh, Workforce Development Board, Hmm. trying to make the link that adult literacy had a role in economic de- development in the state of California. Yeah, and th- there had to be a study to prove that? <laughs> oh, that when they started. Leap. Oh, it was a huge leap. When they started, uh, the Schwarzenegger Commission uh, really thought of workforce development simply as high-tech and biotech. Mm-hmm. They did not realize that there was a role in California's economy mm-hmm. for low-literacy adults. So I was really happy when their strategic plan came out and my fingerprints were all over it. Wow. That's wonderful. Wow. So and you retired from that quote unquote day job? World? I retired from the day job. I still do a little bit of consulting, both paid consulting and pro bono consulting. Hmm. Uh, I like being busy. <laughs> Apparently. <laughs> wow. That's so how uh, long have you been retired? You know, retired. I'm putting that in. You know, air I don't really know. I, <laughs> my it's hus- never really stopped. My right? no, no, no. It's not that at all. My husband can tell you that I'm really not good at dates. I know what date we got married because it's written inside our wedding rings. That was in 1980. Excellent. I know Sam was born in 84. 
I know when I was I know when I was born, but I'm not sharing that. No, 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 no. But other than that, I don't really keep track of dates like that. Yeah. I don't know. It's six or seven years, something like that. I think it was 2005. Yeah. Really? Wow. He knows. (laughs) It's pretty awesome work. It sounds like that you did in in the state. Yeah. He see he knows because. He started coming home and I was there. <laughs> you can't help but miss that. <laughs> You're the date keeper. She was there when I left. She was there when I got home. Something changed at your house, yeah. Bill. Yeah. Okay. So uh, we'll, we will certainly be asking Bill about his multi-generational life in, in, in Stockton. But I, I don't, uh, or having come from uh, um, multiple generations here in Stockton, but I don't know about you. When are you? Were you born from, in Stockton? Are you from Stockton? Did you come to Stockton? Oh goodness, no! I wasn't born here. I was born in Corcoran, California, which Corcoran, is a little town yeah, down, down in the valley. It's halfway between Fresno and Bakersfield, halfway between I five and ninety nine. There's nothing there. There's nothing there. It is flat. It is it's the California outback. It is it's the California <laughs> outback. My parents were poor. We were. Um, we were considered the wealthy. Well, we lived south of town, so we weren't really in a neighborhood. Yeah. We were in a big old farmhouse out in the middle of nowhere. And we were considered the wealthy people because our closest neighbors were all the folks who lived in the migrant camp across the field. Oh. And we were wealthy because we had real floors instead of dirt floors. Yeah. And we had running water instead of having to ha- get water from town. Oh. And we had a flush toilet. Oh, all the amenities. That was living. all the amenities. Yeah. So I grew up a poor kid, hmm. and I was just adamant that I was gonna leave and have a different life than what I grew up with. How did you go from Corcoran to Stockton? I mean, this <laughs> must be the big city. I five and ninety nine. <laughs> it was only nine. It was only ninety nine at that point. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, well, I told you about having all of these piano lessons and dance lessons. Yeah, where were you taking those? In Hanford. Okay. Oh. <laughs> I was going to say. Good old Hanford Lamore. There's nothing yeah. out there either. <laughs> well, there was a dance more, studio. More than, more than Corcoran. <laughs> <laughs> and, and you're right. There was no piano teacher and no dance teacher. So when I was 13, my mom helped me set up uh, piano lessons for little girls. I charged $5 per little girl. Awesome. Entrepreneur. So I got... I got money from all these little girls taking piano lessons. And then the next year, we figured out, my mom and I figured out that I could offer dance classes through the Cork and Recreation Department. I charged $5 for all of those little girls. You were uh, a consultant even back then. So when I was in <laughs> high school, I was, making, I was making decent money in yeah, high school. Yeah, I was saying. Sounds like I it. was making 200 250 a month, something like that. Well, I'm I, doing something I, you like, too, uh, not just well, I liked it. OK, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm not a huge fan of children, believe it or not. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody like, else's teaches. I like that you say that just right out like that. Somebody yeah. else teaches the kids at the dojo. Yeah, I love teenagers. Mm-hmm. OK, um, but anyway, so I was making pretty good money. That's where the car came from was I bought a car. Um, but I was really smart. I had great grades. Um, I got a huge California State Scholarship, which they still had in those days. It paid my full tuition uh, to go to Raymond College, which was the first of the cluster colleges at UOP. Mm -hmm. It was where they stuck all of the smart kids that didn't fit in places. 
So I went to Raymond, and I just thought I had hit intellectual mm -hmm. heaven. I was wonderfully excited to be there. And I'm still very involved with um, the Raymond alumni have our own alumni group separate from UOP. We're an actual nonprofit, oh. <laughs> of which I am the president. <laughs> That's great. And so we're, you know, we consider ourselves a tribe and we're in touch with each other all the time. We have an email list. I get probably six or seven emails a day. We've been discussing, discussing uh, the Crimea currently. Mm. Um, That's and, great. Uh, you guys really so it's together. a long, it's, it's lifelong learning. Mm -hmm. you know? So anyway, that's how I got to Stockton, and I just never left. I liked it here, so I stayed. And randomly, Lucky when you us. got up here, then you ran into just your, your first day in your first day in the city with a suitcase in one hand, and you, you yeah. bump into Bill. Yeah, do you want to tell us that story? <laughs> you want to tell us the story of how you guys met? How did we meet? Yeah. Well, I I um I guess this is this is where we segue into my part of the uh, the discussion here. Um, <laughs> Well, it, uh, Wendy had already graduated college. Hear how Bill and Wendy met and more from the Maxwells in tomorrow's episode. listening to podcast Stockton we'd love to hear your feedback call or text our listener line at 565-3229 email us at podcaststockton at gmail.com or find us on Facebook Twitter or Instagram username podcast Stockton yeah and thanks again to uh, Wendy and Bill Maxwell for coming on to the show you can find all uh, on the info about Wendy's band at wendymaxwell.com and also go to newschoolaikido.com. And for information on Maxwell's Bookmark, go to maxwellsbookmark.com. And links to all of that will be in the show notes at podcastoften.com. The great music you heard on today's episode was Better Than Anything by Wendy Maxwell and Trey Hot Jazz off their new album, Help a Good Girl Go Bad, available now on CD Baby and iTunes. And from the rest of the podcast Stockton crew, Greg, Manny, Rod, and Matt, until next time, make it great, Stockton. <laughs>